Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, Ben here. This is A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers, my podcast. Very nice to have you join me this week. Uh, Hello to any new listeners. Where have you been, you guys? It's like 200 episodes in. But thanks for coming. It's nice to have you along. Don't get me wrong. Just you've got a lot of catching up to do. My guest this week, which is why there may be some new listeners, is the one and only Gregory Crudson. And I'm very, very excited to be bringing you that chat. But there is a fly in the ointment, and I'm going to have to talk to you about that in a minute let me just do a quick sponsor ad read quickly please don't go away because there's much for me to tell you about charcoal editions is the newest project of the charcoal book club a curated online gallery selling open edition silver gelatin prints and that means a unique opportunity for photography lovers just like me and you to acquire beautiful silver gelatin prints that ordinarily would only be financially accessible to collectors and institutions Additioning photographic prints is an invention of galleries and dealers designed to increase scarcity and drive up prices. Charcoal Editions is rejecting that model. The purchase price of their prints reflects an equitable division between artist, printer and gallery. You're not paying for a signature or artificial scarcity, but for light itself captured within the fabric of photographic paper. To ensure the highest quality possible, every silver gelatin print is handmade by Sergio Patel and the master printers at Black and White on White in Brooklyn, New York. The motto there is beauty over scarcity, which reflect Charcoal Edition's mission to return to the core of photography's democratic and accessible nature. So go to charcoaleditions.com to browse through some of the beautiful images available there. So, as I was saying, the fly in the ointment, yes, we did have some technical difficulties during the recording of this chat. And that has meant, unfortunately, that the audio quality was quite badly impacted. Now, obviously, I didn't have a clue that this was happening until... I mean, I knew we were having problems, but I didn't know that the audio quality was being impacted until after the chat and after I listened back. And that's when I realised it had been a bit of a kind of techno shit show. Uh, uh, nobody's fault, really, not mine nor uh, Gregory's, but a kind of confluence of different factors that all conspired together to um, create this problem. So hopefully most of you will not be too bothered by the audio quality and that you will be more interested in the substance of what Gregory was saying, which was great, and it was a great chat, and that's one of the reasons I want to put it out, because actually, full credit to to Gregory, at the time, he knew we were having issues, and he did say to me, if it's a problem, you know, let me know, maybe we'll, we'll re-record it if necessary, and that was really lovely of him, but the truth was, I didn't want to drag him through that process, I didn't want to lose the spontaneity of this ch- chat that we had, and um, in the end, I thought, I'm just going to put it out warts and all. So I'm only warning you that about 20 or so minutes in, that's when the sound problems start. And I really, really hope that, you know, they won't put you off too much and that uh, you won't find them too distracting. So that said, thank you so much to Gregory Crudson for having this chat with me and for being so incredibly accommodating. But I didn't want to record it again, really. So... 
Yeah, that's my sort of plea in mitigation. Let me read Gregory's bio, and this, I think, is fundamentally one that I stole from Gagosian uh, website, which is, of course, his gallery. Gregory Crewson's photographs have entered the American visual lexicon, taking their place alongside the paintings of Edward Hopper and the films of Alfred Hitchcock and David Lynch, as indelible evocations of a silent psychological interzone between the everyday and the uncanny. Often working with a large team, Gregory typically plans each image with meticulous attention to detail, orchestrating light, colour and production design to conjure dreamlike scenes infused with mystery and suspense. While the small town settings of many of Gregory's images are broadly familiar, he is careful to avoid signifiers of identifiable sites and moments, establishing a world outside time. Born in Brooklyn, New York, Gregory is a graduate of Sunny Purchase and the Yale University School of Art, where he is now Director of Graduate Studies in Photography. He lives and works in New York and Massachusetts. In a career spanning more than three decades, he's produced a succession of widely acclaimed bodies of work, from Natural Wonder to Cathedral of the Pines, Beneath the Roses, a series of pictures that took nearly 10 years to complete and which employed a crew of more than 100 people, was the subject of the 2012 feature documentary Gregory Crudson Brief Encounters by Ben Shapiro. Gregory's emblematic series Twilight ushers the viewer into a nocturnal arena of alienation and desire that is at once forbidding and darkly magnetic. In these lush photographs, the elements intervene unexpectedly and alarmingly into suburban domestic space. Gregory's psychological realism is tempered in these images by their heightened theatricality, while themes of memory and imagination, the banal and the fantastic, function in constant with a narrative of pain and redemption that run through American history and its picturing. Cathedral of the Pines, which was first exhibited at Gagosian in New York in 2016, depicts unnamed figures situated in the forests around the town of Beckett, Massachusetts. In scenes that evoke 19th century American and European history paintings, the work's subject appear traumatised by mysterious events or suspended in a fugue state. Working with a small crew to maintain an intimate and immediate atmosphere, the artist also used people close to him as models. But even once we know who plays the protagonists, their actions remain cryptic and their relationship unclear. There are no answers here, states the artist, only questions. The 2018-19 series An Eclipse of Moths is set amid down-at-heel post-industrial locations, including an abandoned factory and a disused taxi depot. They serve as backdrops for Gregory's enigmatic dramas of decay and potential rebirth. This is a bit I added. Gregory's most recent body of work, Eveningside, 2021 to 2022, was shot in black and white and formed the centrepiece of a retrospective trilogy of work alongside Cathedral of the Pines and an Eclipse of Moths in a major exhibition at Gallery d'Italia in Turin from October 2022 until January 2023. An older series called Fireflies 1996 was also included as both, quote, connective tissue and Counterpoint, unquote. A book also entitled Evening Side was published to accompany the show. So quite a long intro, quite a long bio, but I did want to read all of it because it's uh, actually really nice, uh, nicely written, and um, I think nicely encapsulates the sort of essence of what Gregory is all about. So I think it does set the context well. It's kind of ironic that a, a man who's so dedicated to a kind of meticulous practice um, would have to... Um, be the one to have dodgy audio on this podcast so I really hope uh, he'll sort of 
understand and I, I apologize to Gregory personally um, but again it really wasn't my fault that this happened it was just a very unfortunate set of circumstances um, I don't want to sort of dwell on it because I hopefully a lot of you will think well it's not it's not all that bad to be honest um, so I did go to that show at uh, Gallery d'Italia in Turin it was an absolutely beautiful show and a real treat and actually I want to do shout out a couple of people uh, for th- helping to sort that out. Christina and Zane Eppert, uh, Pickles PR. Thank you to those two. And thank you to Intessa San Paolo and the people at Gallery d'Italia for sort of uh, uh, hosting me and Alethea um, for a really lovely uh, evening um, uh, at that show. So just one more thing before we start. A quick note to my members. Don't forget, if you're listening to this, when it goes out on Wednesday, the 15th of February, Tonight we have on the special member only photo book focus session, Alice Tomlinson presenting the Islanders. So I hope you got the email you should have done. And with that email uh, has the Zoom link for this session. So if you hear this in time and if you uh, already don't know about it, which you should do, join us tonight if you can. And if you can't, that session will be available uh, as a video recording on the website, uh, the members page of the website bensmithphoto.com slash members so go there put the uh, password in which I've sent to you also by email and if you want to join up as a member and be part of those sessions and get exclusive special fortnightly member only content then go to pod.fan and sign up for five pounds a month as a member of this podcast uh, support the ongoing production and get a whole bunch of bonus content to boot this uh, new um Photo book focus sessions uh, are going to be a really cool. Next month in March, Martin Parr is going to come and talk about his Chewstoke book, which was published at the end of last year by RRB Books. So Martin's up soon and all kinds of great people will be coming um, directly after that. So yeah, go to pod.fan, sign up as a member if you uh, fancy getting all that additional material. So without further ado, Please, despite the scratchy sound, do enjoy this chat I had with the inimitable Gregory Crudson. I thought, I mean, I want to talk about, about obviously a whole bunch of things. I, I was in Turin recently at the, at the show there at uh, Gallery d'Italia, which was absolutely beautiful. And obviously I want to talk to you about that and um and and the more recent work what, what are you currently preoccupied with what's what's are you be- between projects or you know what's taking up your your time at the moment yeah i generally i think i have three phases in my life and i would describe them as being pre-production production and post-production and they right. each have its own kind of uh energy i guess but um so i would consider myself in just in post-production getting ready to think about the next body of pictures which is a very slow process in terms of um preparing just psychologically in terms of or asking my question self questions about what's the next series of pictures going to be you know mm. and you, usually in one way or another it's a, a reaction to the previous pictures okay so you generally uh wait until you finish the body of work before you even start thinking about the next one yeah i think it's probably more akin to like how a director works in terms of um 
making a movie um, rather than um, sort of photographer. Like there's real divisions in terms of like my working life. So, um, and I actually spend most of my life not photographing. Mm. Yeah, just, of course. <laughs> and I, you know, I know that um, there are other photographers who have a very different kind of relationship to the medium and the camera. But for me, it's really always been more like organizing the pictures, a series of pictures around a very distinct body of work that has a beginning and an end. And, um, and it's not about like a more intuitive way of, of having a relationship to the medium, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I have a very sort of weird relationship to the medium in a certain way in that it's not, I'm not a natural photographer. Let's put it that way. Like I don't, <clears throat> I rarely take pictures of my um, life or record or have a camera um, with me or mm. um, it's slightly more kind of removed or mm. slightly like removed from the whole process. Yeah, right. And also just the scale of the the way that you do it, you know, it's not like you could um, do any of that casually <laughs> you know it has to be yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so carefully considered and also I, I, i've got to assume that you're so immersed in in any one project whether that be post-production or, or the shooting that you know there really isn't probably much you know mental bandwidth to start thinking about you know the next thing at that point yeah i mean there's a lot of downtime there's a lot of um thinking there's a lot of not thinking you yeah. know? um but uh so now I'm in that kind of middle ground where I'm just starting to piece together the next mm. pictures conceptually. Mm. Are you able to talk a little bit about this piece of work that you're currently in post-production on then, or do you not like to really, you know, reveal too much? You mean the, ev the evening side pictures? Is that, what, is that what we're talking about, the black and white stuff? The black and whites, yes. Okay, great. All right, well, I wanted, Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that, that anyway. Yeah. But I thought that was all done and dusted, so I suppose part of the post-production is really, um, you know, the, the color... Oh, it, no, it's done. It's definitely done and dusted. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, like, you know, it's just gone into the world, so right. there's that part of it. And right. then... Um, yeah. yeah, so huge, hugely important part of it. Once you've you know done all that work, you've got to then sort of usher it into the world and um, and do all the. I suppose what some people might consider to be the boring stuff, which is to you know make sure that it gets uh, exhibited beautifully and seen by people and all the sort of and the stuff like this. Talking to idiots like me, I suppose, Gregory, in some no, way. No, no, it's <laughs> it's all part of the same thing. Really. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's all part of. There's just like different phases of it, so it just like goes from one aspect mm. of making to the next yeah of course so there's there's every part of it has its you know value and its uh interest and mm. um, frustrations mm. too yeah know. of course yeah well maybe i even once it's all done maybe you you have a, 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 an opportunity to reflect uh, you know on the work in a way that perhaps you didn't even have time to do while you were making it is that is that part of the process also in a way 
Well, it's interesting when I, you know, was in Italy for this show and really did for the first time look at the three bodies of work on the wall and see their cross connections and how they're also distinct from each other. To me, that was like very gratifying mm. moment because it reflects the last 10 years of my working life. So there is definitely a story that's being told through those very distinct three bodies. Right. Or distinct but interrelated yeah. bodies of work. No, it's really interesting that you say that because that was exactly what I was going to ask you about, whether you have a very sort of, you know, strong sense of, of how each body of work is distinct from the next, apart from the obvious things like, you know, Evening Side, the latest one, you happen to have gone back to black and white for that. But, you know, the, for, for a lot of us, because because the, the themes of your work are sort of abiding, you know, it seems like one could switch out certain pictures within projects and you wouldn't necessarily know they were out of place. But for you, I guess in your mind, you have a very strong idea of, of how those projects have their own sort of uh you know their own personality their own themes or whatever their own ideas well there are definitely themes that run through all the pictures but it's all very intuitive you know the mm. whole process of making the pictures and how they connect to each other and one body of work growing out of the next it's not like i wasn't conceptualized from the beginning Right. Uh, it's a much more organic process. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask really was that this um, this show and and the book that goes with it, um, you know, is presenting these three bodies of work as a trilogy. That's the Cathedral of the Pines, Eclipse of the Moths, and uh, and Evening Side, the new one. But but did the trilogy idea sort of come about um, later, or was that was that always in your head as a trilogy that you know you were gonna even when you started the first of those projects that it was gonna be one of three? It's in, in retrospect. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So when I'm making pictures, I'm always just thinking about the next picture. Mm. You know the next series. So it began um, with Cathedral of the Pines, which are very much involved with nature and remoteness. They're like much more intimate than any pictures I've ever made. Um, and they all primarily are almost exclusively were made in the wilderness or in interior homes that were remote. So very much involved with the landscape and nature. Uh, the interiors always um, were um, a, sort of a continuing motif as using windows to look out into the world. Mm. Um, so that was the original body of work. And then after making those, uh, Eclipse and Moss was definitely wanted them to be more located in sort of the outskirts of cities or sit, um, towns, that they were more industrial, that they were like, larger scale, that the figures would be small, they'd all be exteriors. 
um, so um, much less intimate. And you even switched format for those, didn't you? They're, they're, they're much yes. more, almost like a widescreen format. Yes, right. So they're almost like panoramic in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how and, how does uh, yeah. yeah how does evening side fit fit in thematically for you then with this 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 latest with those two previous projects? And then in a certain way, I feel like evening side is definitely bringing certain elements from both. They're closer in. They're like more intimate, yet they're also like on the outskirts of. Um, they're all ex- almost all um, exteriors, and uh, and so they combine certain the intimacy of the first pictures with something more um about like the township or like these like almost defunct Hmm. workplaces and then i also knew they had to be black and white for me okay so that was like the biggest shift in the the work right yeah sort of returning to the old days in a way because you you started in black and white with uh, hover and that those kind of projects and there it's a return to to that but so why what was the reason reasoning what why why were you so sure that it sh- had should be black and white uh well firstly this is the first time i ever worked in black and white with a full production team right using like large scale lighting so to me that was going to be a really big challenge mm. in the work and then um Really, there were a couple things that like influenced my decision. One was just like I was so much in love with like black and white movies from a certain you know film noir and um, some of my favorite movies like um, Night of the Hunter hmm. and uh, The Last Picture Show and others use black and white and then. The, and then I was really intrigued with, you know, a series of more recent movies using black and white with very high-end digital films like uh, cameras, like Mank and Roma and others. Mm. There's a certain kind of look you get. So um, those are some of the reasons that I wanted to sh- shoot in black and white. Right. Um, and then I just saw these these pictures specifically, you know, where like there's a lot of like uh, storefronts and um, looking in on windows and doorways. That uh, something about it just felt very um, black and white to me. Mm, yeah, yeah. How did removing the need to consider color? sort of impact the, the process and, and your decision-making, your approach. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the first thing I had to do was to try to find a look, the black and white. Mm. You know, um, there's so many different ways we could have gone in terms of, like, how how sort of to create the world of the pictures. Mm. And I worked very closely with um, my director of photography, Rick Sands, 
just sort of discussing a kind of look or aesthetic of the black and white. Mm. And then you, working in black and white instead of color, there was a lot of things we didn't have to be concerned with, right. um, which is just like different weird color temperatures and the kind of um, color bent in, dis, imbalance and, hmm. you know, black and white in a certain way is much less distracting in terms of the world. So um, in certain ways it was like easier and definitely nice not to think about hmm. um, having to think about color in the same way I usually do. But Yeah. Yeah, because um, you consider obviously you consider every element extremely meticulously so color you know would be no exception um uh it's it's obviously hugely important to you when you're shooting color but then yeah suddenly it's, it's just this whole element that's been removed from you know from anything you have to be concerned about maybe then you turn your attention to other other things like as you say i guess the mood is the is the main thing that quite not noirish mood that's right and then using lights in a very specific way, like generally um, the rules were in terms of the look, like most light sources would be practical. So like would be coming from an interior space or a car light or we, uh, I was really interested in using fluorescent like tubes in the pictures mm. to create like a kind of weird in an ambience. So we actually, almost in every single picture, put our own fluorescent lights in right. um, as practicals. Um, and then so, and then the figure would be lit, but um, most of the exterior light was just ambient light. Mm. So there was a certain quietness to the look as well. Yeah, right. Actually, out of interest also, when did you switch to digital from, from film? What was the sort of last project that you shot on the 10.8 film? The last project that I shot with um, large format film was uh, Beneath the Roses. Okay, okay. So you've been, on, yeah, you've been on the digital for a while. And that was really interesting with the Beneath the Roses in retrospect because we had this enormous archive of behind-the-scenes material and... It was the last body of pictures for us where there's this thing kind of interrelationship between the analog and the digital and mm. that we shot with film, we scanned those, you know, the negatives, um, the composited negatives, but also just in terms of like making, um, you know, using eight by ten black and white Polaroids for test shots, and those really bridges, because uh, Beneath the Roses was done over a period of eight years, it bridges, you know, um, kind of analog with digital. But the, the most difficult part about shooting film always was um, that we couldn't see. Um, an image of course, yeah. when we're on set, you know, and when you're working with such a large team and you're working so, so specifically with light and everything, uh, lighting, it was really hard, mm. you know, to, um, actually see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always that element of uncertainty, even, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, a crew of uh, you know, hugely experienced people and you yourself. I mean, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a lot riding on, on getting that frame right when you can't, you've just got this sheet of film that's got to get processed. Um, yeah, and there was always that weird point when we would unload the film and put it in a, you know, box and drive it down to New York. Mm get it developed that there was this weird, really excruciating couple of days when the image doesn't really exist, you know? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you're just waiting. But there is something so beautiful about the 8x10 mm. uh, in other ways, you know. Well, I was going to ask, you know, like, I, I guess the, the advantages of the digital are fairly, are fairly obvious, uh, you know, you've just alluded to one, but, yeah, there are things about the film days that you miss, yeah, um, just a very different, different process, and there's much less control, but you do capture something that feels different. You know, it's more alive in a certain way. Hmm. And, um, but I would never go back at this point. There's just the positives really outweigh the negatives and. Yeah. But it's really interesting for me to go back and look at the archive material is different in a certain way. Mm. It's just like it's much more of a physical thing. Yeah, and I guess that's that's what the the kind of analog diehards um, you know, love about it and that's what what makes people stick with it. Yeah, I mean in the end, you know, I'm most interested in the picture of course you know, yeah. in terms of creating an image and all of it you know, whether it's digital or analog are just tools to get to that of world course. that you're trying to create yeah so i don't have like as i almost sort of began this conversation with i don't have like a deep sort of connection to the process right it's just like, what's the image in my head, you know, and how do I get that out into the world? Mm. Mm. So now I'm just on a sort of practical level, I was interested in how Eveningside came about. Um, in Tessa San Paolo, who are a big bank in Italy, they own and operate the um, exhibition space that we've been talking about, which is in, in Turin. In fact, they, there's a number of them in, in Italy. It's Gallery d'Italia. Yeah. And and the one in Turin is, is entirely dedicated to photography. It's a, it's a great space. But they sort of, uh, they sort of in part commissioned this, this set of images. But how did that all play out? What, how did that come, come to be? Well, I was contacted by um, the museum, the director, and with this idea of like doing an exhibition in this brand new museum. And part of that proposal was to um, commission a new body of pictures. And for me, that was a great opportunity. It was also an interesting think about doing something like that, which I have never done, you know. And I had already been thinking about doing a series of pictures in black and white, and it seemed like the right time and the right place to do that. Um, yeah. So it was... Um, really interesting process and other than that like we worked as we always do right. you know with complete autonomy and also been an interesting time to think about 
producing bodies of work and in different ways, you know, like outside of gallery systems and, um, and so I'm very open to how pictures, um, can operate in a larger context. Hmm. So that's also important to me. Yeah. Now the other thing that they included in that show is, is some, you know, much older work, Fireflies, a sort of series of black and white images couldn't be much further away from what you've become well known for doing much, uh, you know, kind of smaller scale, more intimate. I mean, I know you, you sort of, I think, you know, but you kind of come from a documentary uh, tradition in a way, but what, what was the, the, you know, what was the thinking behind including that specific set of pictures? I should probably just briefly explain that. I mean, they are pictures of fireflies of black and white, um, kind of very beautiful, very simple images. And how did, how did that fit into the wider, you know, show, including the other bodies of work? Well, the, well, the interesting thing about fireflies is that in a certain way, they can be more separate or distinct or opposite than the, the, the newer work in terms of production. But at the core, they're very similar. Mm. You know, they're about light and meaning. You know, they're really about the landscape and and the uncanny, you know, mystery in everyday life. Um, and they were also photographed, like, many, many years ago in the same area that all the other pictures have been made, that they were made in um, my parents' cabin in Beckett outside of which is the same town that um, Cathedral of the Pines were made. Yeah. So there is a, like a direct line um, there. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, so that was the... And they sort of stand outside the three bodies of work, but we are hoping that they were also like connected tissue in a certain way. Mm, yeah, no, I get that. I actually do get yeah, that. Yeah. 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 And also they're black and white. So the, the, the show opens with black and white, goes into the color world, and then ends on black and white as well. So it's, it's a nice kind of yeah. bookends. Yeah, show. absolutely. But, I mean, the, the themes that you are sort of are fixated on, I suppose one could, could say, I've, I've been pretty consistent throughout all the work. Um, there's, um, I mean, where, you know, the themes that... that I think, you know, really have run through everything, um, which we can talk about. I'd love to sort of ask you about. I mean, I think there's a lot of disconnection and and loneliness and and a kind of um, difficulty, you know, uh, of communication, human communication, perhaps. Like, could you identify when those first um, emerged? Do you think they were there for things like Hover right back then? Yeah, I, I think it exists, those main themes. I mean, the themes are, it's, you know, um, you know, the, I always, I've said many times, like, I feel like every artist has one story to tell. And that central story is like told through, you know, artist's lifetime. And you, kind of 
when you come of age in you know your early 20s you're confronted with like movies and artwork that you love or you hate and you're defined in a certain way as a kind of aesthetic being mm -hmm. and then you spend your life sort of working out those things you know um and trying to find yourself within that sort of frame of influences so i um you look at my very earliest pictures i i think there is that those kind of in an early expression of it like the themes and motifs and concerns that I've always, always been interested in from early on. Hmm. That's something about the uncanny, you know, finding some kind of mystery and beauty in everyday life. It's something about uh, trying to find a connection, you know, trying to find um, some kind of meaning in the world you know hmm. i do think that like it's all the pictures and the, and there's something kind of about separation or disconnect you know that's built into the medium you know the photography is is about that in a certain way it's about framing the world and looking in or being separate from something hmm. so um you, you know, you challenge, what you can do is like change the look of pictures. You could like challenge yourself in certain ways, but at the core, you know, those certain set of themes or obsessions remain constant, I think. Yeah. And I was, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your formative experiences i'm wondering if we could maybe <laughs> that might reveal some of the the reasons for your interest in the things that you're interested in um not to play amateur shrink um which is kind of actually what i'm trying to do but um and funnily enough your dad was a was a psychotherapist but yeah you you, yeah. you grew up in in park slope in brooklyn Yes. Um, which was a very different park slope to the one that exists now, I can only imagine. Yeah, although my mom still lives there. Oh, you know, she does? The same house we grew up, so. Oh, very cool. Uh, I was just there yesterday, in fact. Oh, wow. And, 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 but I, I imagine it was when you were young, it was a bit rougher, or so, considerably rougher than it, than it is now. Yeah, but it was, it was a beautiful neighborhood to grow up in and yeah and um and uh definitely defining and mentioned my father being a psychoanalyst well he did have his office in the basement of our home he had another office in new york in manhattan well but that particularly in our early life that was a very kind of um central thing for me and my brother and my sister, it's like my father working in the basement of the house mm. um, and patients coming in each day. And, and did, you, um, did you have an understanding <clears throat> of what his job involved? I did. I mean, there was always something slightly um, curious about it, but mm. 
Um, and there was something special about his space and the fact that we had to be quiet during his, his sessions. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was definitely part of the fabric of our life and influenced, I think, in different ways, mm. um, my brother, my sister, myself. What, what was your relationship with him like? Was he very kind of, was it close or was he quite kind of distant? What kind of dad was he? Oh, we were very close. Oh, and, great. Um, he was a very supportive and thoughtful father. And mm. I think my original idea, you know, early on was I was going to follow in his footsteps and be a psychiatrist. This is actually what my sister is. Oh, right, right. But I was never very good at, like, um, academics. Mm. Right. And uh, I, you know, dyslexic and... Um, oh, yeah, right. Which is a very common story among photographers. Yeah. Uh, and always struggled, like, very much struggled with test-taking and reading. And uh, so, and but all of this was... You know, so none another time period, so it was all basically undiagnosed and mm. yeah, of course. But um when I took my first photo class I just immediately understood how to read the medium, you know, like it because it was still. And um non you know, non linear is um I just immediately understood something about the medium interesting know, yeah of it you know yeah so it, it really yeah. was you know as as is often the the kind of uh the mythology but it was genuinely a sort of a kind of epiphany for you when you discovered it or when when yeah because i think you just randomly took a a, a a kind of photo 101 class didn't you was there do yeah you for laurie simmons in fact yeah um, do you remember why like what what made you do it, it was a uh, just like, it was just, uh, I think there was a friend of mine who I really admired. She was taking a photo class and I just basically. Tacked along. Um, yes. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I immediately fell in love with the medium, you know, it was. Hmm. I, and all the other possibilities like receded in terms of like psychology or. Right. Academics or even filmmaking, which I loved mm. um, and was also very influenced by film classes I took, you know, like cinematic history and uh, various kinds of genre classes. But so it was really those, even early on back then, those definitely this desire to bring the cinematic and the still image together. Right. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I, I, I've read that, you know, you had had a couple of um, sort of um, potential f movie projects um, come and go over the years. I, I don't know whether you still harbour some interest in, in at some point making a film. I, I, I mean, it's a very... These things uh, do come and go because it's 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 no easy thing to to bring any of that to fruition, as people who you know in that world would testify. But um, what? How do you feel about the possibility of doing that sometime? 
Well, definitely something that hovers like throughout and has in many different forums. And it's something that, of course, I'm very interested in because I love movies so much. And I actually, in some ways, love movies more than anything else, really. But it would have to be, I've always said that it has to be the exact right project and the right story. And of course, many different times that in the end, I just like, either I declined or someone else declined or, um, but the challenge if, and when it happens would be to like bring everything I've learned in terms of being a photographer and, but like telling a new kind of story, you know, but like through the vantage point of my love for photography, right. you know, yeah, and, and and I think there are a number of photographers who've transitioned into into filmmaking, but there's a whole new set of kind of challenges, narrative tra- challenges, and and all kinds of complex stuff, yeah. which you know is fascinating to to contemplate, but also slightly intimidating, I suppose, to have to you know, we know how hard it is to get a movie right, you know, we know how many bad films yeah. there are, you know, even yes. even from people who know what they're doing. So, yeah, it's quite a scary thought. But, yeah, but also like an exciting challenge. For and, sure. Um, but, um, you know, there's so many different things I don't have to think about as a photographer, you know, like I'm just entirely engaged in this, the singular moment so there's no before, there's no after, there's no dialogue, there's no sound, mm. there's no plot, you know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but in a certain way, it's very liberating, my particular kind of um, thing that I've made, you know, like, yeah. um, which uses a lot of the elements of uh, movie making, but like all sort of invested into the singular moment. Right, right. I mean, you said that, you know, like, it's never certain what's happening in in the image. Um, There's there's a story there, but we don't really quite know what it is. But I'm wondering, do you know what it is? Like, or it's the same for you, right? (laughs) You don't know either? Okay. No, I mean, if I did, I don't think I would have to make it, you know. Right. You know, but there are like certain elements I'm very aware of, you know, in terms of like, they're mostly formal, you know, like, um, in terms of like the figure and the relationship to the ground, Mm. you know, Mm. um, and trying to create a mystery without revealing too much of a, story right you know that's the key um to sort of and of course i'm really interested in senses like a moment just before a moment or just after a moment so it's like trying to drain it of like story in a certain way Mm. you know there's a number of things that are always of interest there's quite a lot of either nudity or semi-nudity, sometimes in quite incongruous sort of contexts, you know, where you wouldn't necessarily expect mm. it. What what does that mean to you? The, 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 you know, is that particularly... Um, well, that's primarily, yes, for sure. In, 
Uh, Cathedral of the Pines, that was definitely a really important element. It was like the figure um, and flesh and kind of vulnerability and um, yeah, vulnerability was the word that ca uh, came to my mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a certain kind of nakedness, um, um, which I'm always looking for in a picture. Like, I think that in the end, like, what I'm really interested in is something that's almost oppositional, which is, like, detachment and intimacy at the same time, you mm. know? Yeah. Something that feels sort of slightly removed and objective, but also something private and intimate, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that That's a, true in every one of my pictures. Like, um, and that's a theme that I think is very um, present in mm -hmm. um Cathedral of the Pines, which was very specific also in terms of, like, things are going on in my life. You know, there's always a relationship between the art and the life. Um, of course, yeah. Whether you know it or not, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about how, you know, you you, you know, there was a, a point at which you, your marriage was falling apart. There was a point at which I think you had some health problems. I mean, all of these things, you know, <laughs> they're going to... Yeah. Uh, appear somewhere and play into it somewhere. Yeah, life is complicated, and um, and there's great things, beautiful things, bad mm -hmm. things. And what we do as an artist, I think, is in a certain way you try to make sense, particularly of like things that are, seem chaotic or out of control or confused. Mm -hmm. you're, you, you know, you're trying to establish some kind of order in your life right. and. And there's something about the the form of picture making, and you know, making these images that come to life. Mm. Well, especially for for the way that you work, you know, that that sort of meticulousness that you employ, mm -hmm. um, and and all the intricacies of of such a huge scale um, shoot, and the pre production, all that. You know, that talk about trying to bring order to chaos. I mean, that is the sort of ultimate sort of expression of that in a way. So. It, what you're saying just makes perfect sense in the way that you've chosen to operate. You know, it's all about trying to control everything as much as possible. Yeah, but also allow for a certain kind of unexpected beauty and mystery to come out of that process. Absolutely. Like, you could literally see it on the set when it happens. Right. Wow, that must when, be a great uh, moment. Yeah. And that, to me, in some ways, is the moment. Mm. You know, it's that's the moment, you know where it's just like, you know, I have said before, like where everything just for a moment feels like it makes sense, you know, gives order to the world. And then the struggle is in post-production is really to bring that moment back to life, you know, right? Um, which is a very different thing because you're just like pushing pixels around and hmm. and compositing different images and, you know, yeah, um, that's the okay. slightly sort of unromantic um, side of, yeah. the, of the coin. Everything else feels, you know, quite romantic, but that's, yeah, that's all very, like you say, pushing pictures yeah. around. But it's also essentially, yeah, an essential part of your process. 
Yeah, so that's like, you know, going back to like the three phases of life, it's like the pre-production, you know, when you're just starting to think about like putting pictures together, your location scouting, your like sort of making larger kind of plans about like the pictures, everything's possible. You know, it feels like, um, cause nothing has been made yet. So you're just like, you're fully optimistic and open and, um, just excited about every possibility. And, but then as you get closer to production, things narrow and you have to make decisions and, um, and, and then, when you're in production, that's the shortest period of time. You yeah. know, it usually lasts like six weeks or so. Yeah. It's just like a constant, like, trying to make each day work, you know, and, and, um, it's a lot of decision making and, mm -hmm. uh, frantic and, uh, filled with anxiety. And yeah. then there's like these moments of, you know, revelation or transformation. Mm. And then there's months of the post-production where like you're just working with all the bits and pieces of the puzzle that you've made and uh, trying to resurrect it in a certain way. Mm. Well, what's fascinating about seeing your beautiful big prints is, you know, I mean, I, I've not, seen anything of yours in an exhibition before the Italy show, the Turin show it was so beautiful to to walk around and, and look at those huge prints but there's something about the scale of those that kind of they kind of have a gravitational pull in the, in a way, you know, it's when you go to a photography exhibition, if, if the images on the wall are quite small you know, it's very easy to sort of overlook them or, or not really give them your full attention but with yours there's really no choice but to give them your full attention because they're just uh you know they're so they're so huge is that is that partly why you i mean obviously you want the detail and you want people to see every element of what's happening in that frame but um you know is that part of your thinking with you know making big prints well i think each body of works has its own size or mm. dimension and meaning so like I certainly have made large pictures, but in relation to like other photographers, I think they're, they're not. No, that. Overscaled, but no. each, but each, I think very serve. One thing I think about always is like windows. So like Cathedral of Pines, since there are so many like windows looking out from interiors to exteriors and um, I wanted to feel like the size of a kind of window, you know, mm. um, and Eclipse of Moss, as we mentioned, is much more cinematic and sort of larger scale. So those definitely wanted panoramic and larger. Yeah. And then evening side is definitely, it's even smaller than Cathedral of the Pines. That's right. Yeah. Thinking so that about was a big it. Decision. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sort of thinking back now on, 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 walking through the show and, and realizing that, yeah, those, those ones are considerably smaller, but they still look but great. It's important to like, no matter what scale you're working on, 
that every part of the picture feels right. Mm. Now, in, in my pictures, you know, it goes through an enormous amount of energy, like to have everything sharp and in focus and, um, and, uh, and part of the meaning there is like, first of all, it feels slightly uncanny everything so sh like in focus not the way the eye sees or cameras specifically so uh that part of it is like a kind of strangeness but the other part of it is that every part of the frame matters to me so like every you need to see every you know blade of grass or like the details of like what's on a shelf or um, what's being reflected back in the mirror. Um, all of those seemingly inconsequential details sort of add up to tell part the story of the picture. Yeah, absolutely. And though you know, I get the impression that you're never quite fully satisfied with the result. There's always something perhaps, you know, unsatisfying. Is that true to say? And if so, why do you think that is? I think that's just like the nature of art, mm. you know, and the nature of representation, that there's a necessary failure or disappointment that's built into the medium itself. And that's part of where the art comes from. It's like your need to make something perfect, pushing it up against, some, in the end, an incapacity to do so. Yeah. You know? Right. So it's those tensions coming together that I think part of what makes it art, you know. But right. it's also what compels you to make other pictures, of you course. know. Yeah. You're always under the delusion that you're, the next body of pictures will solve all the issues, but it never is the case, ever. Yeah, it always brings to mind, it's, I can't remember whose quote it is, but it was something to the effect that, you know, as soon as you achieve uh, perfection, you may as well slit your throat kind of thing. I can't remember who said yes. that, but it was some famous yeah, uh, good author or, or artist, you know, yeah. <laughs> You've mentioned um, the dynamic between beauty and sadness in the past, and I, th I think that's a lovely way of, of, of really, I suppose, really almost defining one of the, the, the central characteristics of, your, of all your work. Can you talk a little more about how you see that dynamic? Well, I think beauty, true beauty, is sadness in a certain way. You know, like... Um, that there's something about like an aesthetic moment that no matter how beautiful or how perfect it is, it's like there's a kind of, as I was saying, like a kind of sadness or disappointment mm. or even like the inability to hold a moment, you know, photography is almost defined by kind of human desire to capture something, you know, yeah. and immortalize it. And, but that's an impossibility. So, uh, so there is, again, there's something about beauty and sadness that is like built into the medium itself, but that's also like a larger theme in my own work, you know, um, For sure. Yeah. And there's something about photography specifically, as I mentioned, even, the act of making a picture is an act of separation from the world. Hmm. Um, so I always see 
you know, these lone figures who are searching, who are like looking for something outside themselves as a kind of surrogate for like, you know, my own kind of search or something. Yeah. And uh, that usually comes out of light, you know, that sense of connection or some, something larger, you know, it comes out of like, that's what light plays, I think, in the work mm. as a kind of possibility of something larger, mm. uh, some fleeting sense of connection. Because that's so interesting because, you know, one of the things that I think is obviously very noticeable is that when there are, you know, when there's more than one person in, in the image, um, they're always essentially alone. You know, there's no... There's, yes. there's no communication or connection. And I think one finds that, you know, as a human being, you find that immediately, you know, disconcerting and, 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 and sad and moving. But and, and I'm just wondering, yeah, where does that, where's that coming from? It's a good question. You know, again, like I'm so mostly aware of like the formal decisions that are going on mm. in terms of like the figure in this relationship to the f space and the light and the focus and the form of the pictures that like there is a necessary thing that happens that it's the darker element or the something emerged in the work that I'm less conscious of, mm. you know, that it's more intuitive and um, I just know I like my, the figure, you know, in a certain kind of way, you know, framed in a certain way. Mm. A lot of times the figure is like behind glass or it's like being perceived through a doorway or in a car. So those forms of mediation of separation, are, I know they're important in terms of those questions about like what it all means. But um, mm. to me, they're mostly formal decisions about like isolating the figure, you know, Right, right. In their own world. Yeah. And, and um, so that's part of what I... Yeah, and they're, they're very much, they're very much, you know, in, in, in a world of their own. Um, it know. also references the act of making a picture. Right. Like, so um, one thing I'm definitely always interested in is how um, there are like framing devices in a picture. So like there, you're, there's always like a frame within a frame, let's say, mm. or like, um, and to me, that's also acknowledging the act of making a picture. You know, there's the frame of the camera and then there's the frame of like a window where there's a frame of a mirror. These are all like ways of Suggesting the, you know, just le levels of mediation, I guess. Mm. Or, uh, yeah. I think you see a fair bit of hope and optimism for these. I do. These, these lonely characters, which I'm really glad to hear. Um, no, I always think that. Like, I, 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 <laughs> I don't think I would make the pictures if I didn't, you know. Like, right. I, they're not in any way uh, pessimistic pictures in my mind, you know, that 
um, I'm always, always trying to make a beautiful picture first and foremost and want to make, you know, a view of the world that is hopeful in a, in a certain way, you know, and dark too, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's always light and dark. I'm, I guess I'm looking for contrasts always and oppositions of like beauty and sadness, light and dark, you know truth and fiction, you know, you know, all of these different things kind of pushing and pulling against each other. Yeah. I feel like you, you've you brought us to a, a very neat conclusion there, Gregory. I, I want to keep, um, keep you on schedule, sir, because I, I don't want to uh, over, overshoot. Um, I'd like to go on and do the, the, a few bonus questions for my subscribers, but uh, can I just yeah. sort of... In the meantime, though, I'd just like to thank you for, for talking to me. I've really, you know, I've enjoyed hearing from you so much and I, you know, really appreciate you taking the time to chat. So thank you. Oh, I really enjoyed it. And if there are real technical issues, just let me know and we'll, you know.